Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. I wonder today what you would define as the world's most famous picture. It might be this one on the screen behind me. Uh, you may not be an art buff, right? But volumes, literally volumes and volumes have been written about this one painting, this one picture. Uh, how? How did da Vinci do it, right? It's remarkable. And this morning, I want to talk to you about a picture. Not, not this one, but a, 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 even not a literal picture, perhaps, but, but the image the image that our Bible paints so clearly. It's the picture really of the most unbelievable, indescribable redemption. That's what it is. It's a picture of redemption. A picture of someone who fails. Time and time again, they fall short. They miss the mark repeatedly. The evidence, if you are in a court of law, the evidence stacked against them is overwhelming. The verdict would be clear and obvious, guilty as charged. And yet, and yet, they're forgiven and redeemed. How do you paint a picture like that, a story that remarkable? Well, Hosea's story in the Old Testament is exactly that. (laughs) The story of a prophet called by God to marry a prostitute who will be unfaithful time and time again. This story shocks us. The first word that comes to mind as I describe the story is scandalous. But it's this scandalous story that forces us to consider the mercy God has shown us. And that's the picture that we paint today. It's such an important picture that in the midst of our series, uh, we could talk about any of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, but this is the story that we focus on today. Welcome, welcome back to our series called The Minor Prophets. Uh, We're spending uh, four weeks leading up to the Advent season studying here in the Old Testament the minor prophets. Now, they're not minor because they're like the JV prophets. They didn't make the cut. They're just shorter books, a little bit lesser known books than some of the major prophets, as we might call them, in the Old Testament. But here's what we believe. We believe that God's word is valuable. We believe all of God's word is alive and active and speaking. And so we're taking time in this season leading up to Christmas to find our place in these stories. And so today we focus on Hosea. Last week uh, we began this series with Jonah. Uh, The focus on Jonah was really the focus on a prophet who did not want to do what God wanted him to do. He he did not want to yield his will to God's will. God used Jonah to bring revival to an entire city. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? We're praying over some names here that we're praying God will work through. But Jonah proclaimed God's word and the entire city was saved. And yet, Jonah was distraught. 
Last week, it really begs the question, this question, are you okay that God loves your enemies? Are you okay with that? That's what Jonah's story really teaches us. And not only that, but will you allow God to use you to make a difference in those you don't like? Perhaps that's the question for us heading into the Advent season. Are are you okay that God loves your enemies? And are you okay that he desires to use you to make a difference in their lives? And so today we're diving into Hosea. Hosea, who is Hosea? Who is Hosea in, in the Old Testament? Well, Hosea lives in the northern kingdom of Israel throughout his book, Um, it's called Israel and also Ephraim interchangeably. So you see those two terms representing this northern kingdom of Israel. And it's about 200 years after breaking from the southern kingdom. Hosea is called, he's called to be a prophet to speak on God's behalf during the reign of King Jeroboam II, who is really one of Israel's most ungodly kings. So on one hand, this nation, this kingdom is experiencing uh, prosperity But in doing so, they're turning away from God. They're breaking their covenant with God. And so as a result, the nation is soon going to experience chaos. The Assyrian Empire is going to come in and decimate them. And and meanwhile, Hosea is observing all of this and having to speak the word of the Lord. If we were to summarize the book of Hosea, uh, there's 14 chapters. But the first three chapters are the story of Hosea's marriage to Gomer. Who is Gomer? Well, the Lord tells Hosea to marry Gomer, which is really peculiar because Gomer is described in chapter 1 as a promiscuous woman, having been unfaithful many times. But this is who the Lord tells Hosea to marry. And unsurprisingly, she's unfaithful to him. So God calls Hosea to remain faithful and pursue reconciliation. He must be faithful to his bitterly unfaithful wife. What kind of picture is this? So while this is an actual marriage that that occurs in history, the reason these three chapters are so important because it's also an allegory, a depiction of God's relationship with the unfaithful Israel, with the unfaithful nation of Israel. The first three chapters are Hosea's story, yes, but it serves as an example of the greater story happening. And so because of that, that, these three chapters really summarize the themes of this book. The themes of uh, Israel has rebelled and God's going to bring consequences, but yet God has compassion on his people in spite of their sin. The other section, the remaining 11 chapters, are really Hosea's poems that really uh, speak to these themes in more depth. Let's begin with the question, though. You know I love this question, right? The question of why. Why in the world would God ask Hosea to marry this woman This story, it seems ridiculous. It seems absurd. She's been unfaithful in the past. It's no surprise that she's going to be unfaithful to him. Why would God do that? Well, to truly understand that question, we have to take a a step back and understand uh, the scripture. Anytime we read the scripture, we have to understand the scripture's connection to the overall story, the story of God. And so if we go back and read in our Old Testament, we understand that the Israelites were God's chosen people. God told Abraham, hey, I'm going to bless you, and through your descendants, all the nations will be blessed. And of course, that's pointing all the way to Jesus, the Messiah, who comes from this lineage, right? God's chosen Messiah. But then when the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt, God rescues them. And we see this as a prominent uh, example, story throughout the Old Testament of God's deliverance of his people 
God doesn't just rescue them and lead them to a promised land. He makes a covenant with them. And you can see the scripture on the screen, I believe, Exodus chapter 19. This is what the Lord says. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. That word's really significant here. Then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. This is the Lord, God, speaking to the nation of Israel, his people. Through them, he's going to bring the blessing of the Messiah. And he makes a covenant with them. And really, the Old Testament is the story of God's people experiencing this covenant, but breaking this covenant time and time again. They don't remain faithful. They turn their back on him. They dishonor his name. In fact, in an age where many people uh, have kind of given up on, on speaking much about the Old Testament, we're here now, and part of the reason we believe studying the Old Testament is so important is so that we can learn and remember our desperate need for God's mercy and his faithfulness despite our rebellion. And we, as you study the story of God throughout the Old Testament, you see that time and time again. Examples of our sinfulness, our rebellion, and yet God's steadfast love. So, the question of why, why will in the life of Hosea we see this displayed? This struggle, this tension, this story of God that has existed all the way back to the beginning of the Israelites. We see this on display through the covenant of marriage. Gomer is not faithful. She does not honor her covenant. And Hosea could justify seeking justice. He, he could quit. He could walk away. He could seek justice. But instead, what does he do? He remains faithful. If we want a clear description of the picture Hosea paints for us, uh, it helps us to zero in on chapter 11. So I said all of that to get us to Hosea chapter 11. Would you join me there in your copy of scripture? If you're a, a Bible app user, uh, we have an event set up there. You can turn. We have some extra notes and some things for you to take along with you through your week. But we're going to be in Hosea 11 because this is God painting the picture for us. Painting the picture of not just a story, but painting the picture of our story. And that's why we're here today in Hosea chapter 11. We're going to be reading the first eight verses. This is the word of the Lord for us. Hosea 11 verse 1. When Israel was a child, this is God speaking. This is the word of the Lord, right? When Israel was a child, I loved them. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim, again, that's used interchangeably for Israel, right? It is I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they didn't realize that it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. This is a beautiful picture being painted here. The heart of the father, a father who, who has loved and cared and sacrificed for his children. I often say that parenting is the hardest thing I do. I, I'm blessed to have four kids. Uh, our oldest uh, turns uh, 17 here in a week, all the way down to our youngest who's six. And so I often say that parenting is one of the hardest things I get to do, but one of the most joyful things. And if you're a parent in the room, I think you understand a little bit of that idea, right? I love my kids. And I think about them and I think about the joyful times, the memories, the moments I will never forget. But I also think about the hard times. Parenting is hard. 
That's an understatement, right? Really hard. You realize as a parent, part of loving your children is you have to allow them to make choices. And you prepare them and you pray over them and you do everything you can, right, to, to lead them and guide them. But ultimately, loving them means you allow them to make choices. And sometimes the choices they make break your heart. It's not easy as a parent, is it? I think every parent in the room knows what I'm talking about. And honestly, even if you're not a parent, I think you understand. And I think about that. I think about if I feel that way as a very imperfect father, how much more does our perfect heavenly father, how much is his heart broken when we as children make dumb decisions, make decisions that aren't wise and even decisions that turn our back on him? How much does that break his heart? That's really, that's really what's happening as it's being described here in chapter 11. A father who loves his children yet feels heartbroken. Why? Because, because they're turning away. They're making the choice to turn away from him. We know that choices have consequences, don't they? And so here in Hosea chapter 11, we see that the choices the Israelites are making are going to have consequences, and they're not easy. Let's keep reading in verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. Wow. Look again, what is this? A return to Egypt. That's a reference to bondage, to slavery. There's a reference here to Assyria ruling over him. That's a prophecy of what's coming their way as Assyria comes in and conquers them. A sword will flash in their cities. Ah, this is a picture of pain, of violence, of suffering. They're going to be conquered. Listen, church, this is a hard word. Very hard. And at the same time, while we can say this is a hard word, ouch, God, this is hard. Isn't this exactly what they deserve? I mean, think about it. Not just once, not just twice, but for generations and generations and generations. Ever since God rescued them from slavery, generations and generations have turned their back on him. Isn't this what they deserve? Wouldn't it be just for them to receive the consequences of their actions? Do you remember when that was you? The one who deserved what was coming your way? The one that deserved whatever punishment, whatever consequences for your mistakes, for your selfishness, for your pride? Do you remember what it was like that caused you to run after what looked good or felt good to turn your back on God and his covenant for you? Do you remember what it felt like to, to feel hopeless because you, you went your own way and, and chose your own path? Hosea speaks of a wayward son, and Jesus did too. Maybe Jesus had Hosea in mind when he wrote one of his most famous stories, the story of a lost son, a prodigal son. You remember him, right? The one who walked away, who turned his back on his father and said, I, I've got this. <laughs> I'm good, Dad. I don't need you anymore. I'm going to call the shots. 
I'm going to be in charge. It's all about me. And listen, there was pleasure in living that way for a season, wasn't there? There was pleasure in living that way for a season, but ultimately it led to complete and total emptiness, a complete hopeless way to live. Do you remember, church, when you were the prodigal? In our time, uh, maybe the story looks something like this. Take a look. Hey, Dad, it's Mark. probably understand the story from the son's perspective, but Hosea would understand the story from the father's. We've all been there, right? We, we've messed up. We were so far gone and we believed in our hearts and our minds the father would never want us back. We would never be welcomed back. We could never be loved again. And it felt like the end. It felt like the end of the story, but the best news of all is that's not it. It's not the end of the story for us, and it's not the end of the story for Hosea. What's happening in verse 7? Remember, remember what's happening in verse 7. It's on the screen behind me. My people are determined to turn from me, even though they call me God most high. I will by no means exalt them. What is this? Justice, judgment. This is the punishment that they deserve but that's not the end of the story, is it? Look at verse 8. How can I give up on you? Wait, wait, did you hear that? Did you hear the difference? Verse 7 is what they deserve, the justice they deserve. But turn the page to verse 8 and it says, How can I give up on you, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? These are two well-known cities that were historically destroyed because of sin, because of sinfulness. So after all that's happened in this entire um, story, this entire account, a book filled with evidence of all of the unfaithfulness of Israel, the heart of God says, how can I give up on you? And then look how verse 8 concludes. My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. <laughs> judgment doesn't get the final word, does it? There's judgment here. There's consequence here. There's consequences that are going to happen. But the good news for us, the good news for the Israelites, the good news for us as we find our place in the story is that judgment doesn't get the last word. Compassion does. 
The Lord is moved with compassion. The New Living Translation says, my compassion overflows. Are you grateful today that we serve a God that in spite of sin, in spite of the judgment that we deserve, his compassion overflows and it gets the final word. It gets the final word. (laughs) I like how the psalmist exclaims in Psalm 103, God does not treat us as our sins deserve. Church family, do you know today how dearly you are loved? Do you know that in this story, you and I are the unfaithful ones? We are the ones who time and time again couldn't keep our covenant. We are the ones who deserve the consequences, the punishment, the judgment, and yet his compassion overflows. The bottom line, uh, what I want you to know today, deep within your heart, I have it on the screen, is that God is faithful even when we are not. In fact, God is faithful especially when we are not. Listen, God is faithful today and his faithfulness He's not any more or less faithful, depending on our faithfulness. But I'm here to tell you in my life, I'm able to recognize the faithfulness of God, especially when I'm unfaithful. God's faithful all the time. He's faithful all the time. But it's in the times of my life when I was the prodigal and I had wandered far from home and I had rebelled against his law in his way and and my pride and selfishness is in those moments when I was most unfaithful that I recognized just how faithful God is. Just like the story of Hosea being married to an unfaithful spouse, right? An unfaithful bride. Just like Hosea paints the story of a, of a lost and wayward son, unfaithful to his father. God is faithful, church family, especially when you're not. I'm not suggesting to you today that God has ever been more or less faithful, but I am suggesting today that in your unfaithfulness, you can come to know the faithfulness of God in a radical, radical way. Romans 5, 3 says this, God demonstrates his love for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still unfaithful, Christ died for us. While we were most unfaithful, he was faithful to us. Take a look. Hey, Dad, it's Mark. I, uh, You've been 
fine without me? No, I'm sure you continue to be fine without me. I, uh, I won't bother you no more, Dad. All right. I'm just sorry. Sorry about everything. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.